Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonsoir, Pete. Bonsoir, Matt. Bonsoir to our listeners. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek. Today, talking our Picard Primer essential episodes to watch ahead of the big Picard premiere on Thursday, January 23rd in these United States. Pete, here we are at the precipice, about to dive off into Picard. Let's just take a moment, kind of prognosticate here, Star Trek 2020, Picard, Discovery, Lower Decks, then add to that uh, the untitled, announced Section 31 show forming a writing room in the near future, and Star Trek major domo Alex Kurtzman mentioning to perhaps little press fanfare, two unannounced series are in the works. Your thoughts on this bevy of Trek? Well, if one of the two isn't a uh, Enterprise, Pike, Spock series, I'd be a little bit concerned, but these are heady days, Matt. Amidst arguments on social media with uh, people who insist Picard has not been renewed for a second season, it has. Um, I don't know what else these people have to point to to say that Trek isn't vibrant and healthy and a whole lot more of it is coming. Yes, that also, of course, added uh, since last we spoke Star Trek uh, that it's been officially renewed for season two, that pre-production is getting underway. Uh, season one showrunner Michael Chabon will be leaving the show to uh, pursue an original series based on one of his novels uh, and is being handed off to another very able showrunner. So that transition has yet to occur as they wrap up season one, as they you know as they as they prepare for season two i mean pete you can't get much better than picard discovery lower decks section 31 two more shows and you know the new season of discovery later this year uh more picard one can hope for more discovery it's it's an embarrassment of riches it is and given that discovery launched all access um now picard Lower Decks coming later this year after Discovery returns. Bring these other shows. I think your point about the not a lot of fanfare, the cup runneth over at this point. And until we know what those other shows are, I mean, they've been working on the Section 31 uh, show for some time. The date that's been thrown around for you know, a while has been 2021. We can only imagine any other show after that will either uh, hit later next year or even beyond that. And the brand is to the point right now that they don't need to have another one in the chamber when they have all this stuff coming. I mean, conceivably, Matt, they they could say next week, okay, Picard is going to run its 10 weeks. And then when that 10th episode is over discovery is going to run it's 13 weeks and then when that's over i mean have we seen a, a episode count for lower decks uh we have not i guess what being animated i, I kind of feel like maybe 15 half hours is kind of what my gut is telling me i mean you you could 
continue straight through with that and then, you know, build up a little bit of a of a hunger or they'll I think more logically they're going to figure out, well, where are the uh, the subscription ends and then, you know, the overlap and, and trying to get their bang for their buck with uh, with people paying for a service. It's a reality. And, uh, you know, then we'll be talking before you know it about season two of Picard and uh, who knows when uh, in 2021 we may see uh, the Section 31 show. I would imagine you'll probably get Picard before you get that. So a couple of thoughts, Pete. First of all, I think in our very, very uh, uh, flexible projections, uh, well, first of all, it is a fact that Picard will end on March uh, 26th. That assumes they take no breaks, which one would heavily assume given that it's only 10 episodes. Kind of in my mind, uh, no new Star Trek in April. I mean, maybe asterisk, you throw in a, um, a short trek in there, and then Discovery returning in May. Um, again, this is just kind of back of the envelope prognostication there. Maybe it gets stretched out till June, and you do two short treks, one a month, or something like that. But I would bet if Picard is ending the last Thursday in March, I would bet by the last Thursday in May we're either back into discovery or it's, it's very close upon us. Um, they just wrapped their season three finale. So if you look at the timelines that they ran for the second season, the, the first season, a little different with changeover and some of the things happened there and knock on wood, Matt, we're going to get through an entire season of discovery with one showrunner. Maybe Michelle Paradise will even be back for uh, for her second season, the third season overall. Pete, one thing I do want to clarify, though, uh, first of all, it was weird uh, that both The Hollywood Reporter and Deadline did not report Kurtzman announcing uh, two more unannounced shows. It was just said kind of as one sentence. Um, maybe a little bit of a PR failure there. This is where you get your secondary level. Though they did catch it, your Trek movies, Trek core, that kind of thing, to have the direct quote. Um, there was somebody on Twitter telling me that one of those shows, and again, the Kurtzman quote, this isn't word for word, but it basically was, we also have two previously unannounced shows that we are working on. Somebody told me, yeah, one of those is the Section 31 show. No, it's not. The Section 31 show has been announced. It's just untitled. Yeah. So, listen, all right, let, let's look worst case scenario, Matt. It's section 31 and another unannounced show, which would make it pretty clear. All the clamor has been for a Pike Enterprise show. They have that set now. They've established those actors in those roles. Um, Ethan Peck did just land a George Clooney movie, so maybe that was you know, backstage knowledge to this point. And they were like, all right, let's let him go film this. And then he'll be available to do our meager show in Toronto. Well, Pete, with all this new Star Trek coming and with, with some people brokenhearted that it's going to take away their Star Trek, let's go back to the 1987-1988 TV series where the new Star Trek was taking away what was, Pete, a bald guy, a Frenchman played by a Brit. 
Not Gene's Captain, Matt. Not, not Gene's, Gene's Captain. Ca- yes, in 19... Was it eight, summer of 85 or 86? That he, I think summer of 86, yeah, where he was... There's the memo, I do not want to hear the name Patrick Stewart again. Yeah, and all this Picard buzz, and there might not be a time when we've needed Jean-Luc Picard and Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart's portrayal of Jean-Luc Picard more. Um, and, and to look back and how there were people, particularly the great bird of the galaxy that weren't in his corner, you can make an argument. I don't know if it's over the top yet, but I do know there's no Star Trek Kirk. You can make an argument. Picard is the most important captain at this point. Uh, I think you absolutely could, particularly since, I don't know, you look at the fact that, that Picard has been Picard has been on the small screen or the big screen in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. Okay, took a little time off in the 2010s. Now back in 2020, it's just astonishing. Could have been on in the teens if if they they hustled this one up. So what we've done here, there are a lot of people who are saying, oh, you got to go back and watch all the next generation. I mean, listen, you want to go watch all the next generation, go watch all the next generation. And you want to add the movies to that, add the movies to it. What we did, we took an official source. So uh, the uh, Star Trek Twitter uh, account had tweeted out in December uh, a smaller number of episodes. Later on Star Trek.com, they put together a larger number of episodes. We took the more manageable number headed into the premiere next week, Matt. We can finally say that. We're, uh, we're 10 days away. The premiere for the cast and crew was last night in Hollywood. They were treated to the first three episodes. There are spoilers out there. I'm under orders from Commodore Matt not to reveal them to him. Um, but uh, there's some good stuff out there and some interesting stuff. So we have, it's uh, it's five titles. One is the two-parter. Uh, so we have Data Lore. We're going to do these in chronological order. So uh, Data Lore, Best of Both Worlds, Parts 1 and 2. Family, which is essentially uh, the third part of uh, Best of Both Worlds. And then Iborg. And then we've got a Voyager episode in there that they threw in for good measure and for some further Borg shenanigans, The Raven. So let's begin, Matt, with Season 1, Episode 12, Data Lore. Yes, this... uh, This... A great example of the bonkers first season of TNG. This first season that means so much to me, the one that hooked me into Star Trek, even though it's easy to look back at this season and this episode and talk about its failures. Um, but this, I mean, the notion of the evil twin, evil robot twin, I mean, this is just the show leaning into story craziness in the best sense. Uh, I remember so distinctly seeing this episode in January of 1988. Uh, even things now, Pete, that don't make sense, like Laura has a tick, but... <laughs> You can, it's which you so can, bad, which you can turn <laughs> off with the flashlight laser and then transfer. It's, there's that. There's the whole, the, the the whole reveal on on the planet of 
A, Data's backstory, B, you know, the parts. I mean, it's just, this is bonkers in such a delightful way. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun for that reason. From the first appearance of Data in the episode, who is not on the bridge as they are approaching the system where he was found all those years before, uh, practicing sneezing in his quarters to uh, the doors on the underground uh, laboratory that they find clearly being repurposed movie era doors from Enterprise or other Federation sets to even the inclusion mat of the back and forth light device that was in Airplane 2 with Shatner and still on that Paramount lot. And hey, let's let's throw in it. It's been used throughout Star Trek. This of all of these episodes, this one is the most out there in a strange way. It's still very, very watchable. And we get shut up, Wesley. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it's it's iconic beyond iconic. Um you know, it's an episode that uses a lot of the split screen type stuff to to perfect effect uh, to get data and lore on on the same screen uh, or on the screen at the same time, rather. Uh, I mean, just so much jumps out. I remember this is the first time that we're in data's quarters and seeing how weird that was. And, and in the order that I have experienced Star Trek, I now go back and watch Star Trek 2 and go, oh, look, they're in data's quarters. It is, of course, the reverse there a bit. This is a repurposing of uh, Kirk's quarters from, certainly from Star Trek Two, maybe some of the later ones as well. Um, but it's just, amidst all this madcap craziness, we, of course, kind of get the data origin story in terms of um, his background, his, his uh, origin having been created, uh, and then, surprise, surprise, others were made. Uh, so this notion that Data, who is the ultimate outsider in Star Trek The Next Generation, has a, has a brother of sorts. Um, then add to it the craziness of the crystalline entity, which looked so great on TV back then. And then you look at it remastered now, and it's just you know even better. Kind of mind-boggling to think that this was an episode in 1988 that had... Uh, computer-generated effects for that for that crystalline entity. You know, it's just again, it's bonkers at times, but in a certain sense, it's kind of flawless Star Trek because you get all of this. I don't know. You get all of this, even down to you know our our baddie dispensed with at the end, but still out there. And of course, other lore episodes, uh, you know, picking up the rear as the show unfolds. Well, who would figure of the more prominent first season episodes, this would be the one that would have the longest tail. We return to lore several times when, you know, though his disappearance is nebulous, you can't help but watch this show and say, oh, he's dead. We get the crystalline entity again. We haven't even glimpsed Dr. Soon yet. This is the first mention of him and uh you know they went easy on spiner in this episode they only made him play two roles instead of the three add to it pete that this is the final 
uh, Star Trek writing credit for Gene Roddenberry before his death. Um, so, I mean, as Gene's Trek as one can get, even though I'm sure had there been social media back in the day, it would have been like, wait, now there's two of these robots? Ah, it, it used to be that when there were two robots, they all went crazy. Like, like, uh, <laughs> like, like in, in, in my Star Trek, Kirk's Star Trek, you know, but it's, I don't know, there's such a, there's such a fun energy to this episode. And the changes that occur, you know, we've still got Jordy wearing command red. We've still got Tasha. Uh, we've still got uh, Worf wearing the red and, you know, the, the zip up front uh, zipping uniforms and, and everything there. And they're still trying to find themselves in terms of tone and feel Yet at the same time, it fits in very well with the rest of the series, probably given how many times we come back to Data's backstory and lore. Of course, as you mentioned, Pete, the show certainly had a lot of growing up to do, and certainly this first season, one marked with conflict and whatnot. Uh, as we kind of start to transition to the next episode in our Picard list here, I'll just mention in the exit of season one, uh, we have the penultimate episode, Conspiracy, that's the one with the bugs and, and whatnot, ending with this. But the signal has been sent out there, and that was meant to become the baddies that we're going to be talking about next in, a, in terms of a sense of, oh man, something that's really going to shake the Federation and shake Star Trek. Didn't quite work out that way. I know we had a couple, couple teases here and there, but we now land where next, Pete? This will be the best of both worlds, parts one and parts two. So season three, episode 26. Remember, Matt, when you got 26 hour longs, you know, 44 minutes for uh, uh, over the air TV episodes in a season? Uh, that was kind of the astonishing thing by like, all right, I know best of both worlds is it's obviously the season three finale. Go to my Netflix Next Generation, Season 3. All right, start clicking. Start clicking. Oh, man, my thumb's getting tired. 19, 20, 20. <laughs> I still haven't gotten to the bottom of the, of the page yet. And just Get around the corner. <laughs> yeah, like 26. I, Pete, I know that in a certain sense, you know, this, this was obviously a well-funded show, and it had fantastic effects for the time. I don't know how they made 26 episodes a year of this show and still took time off in the summer. It's just astonishing. I mean, season three started last week in September and ended uh, in the second half of June. It's mm -hmm. just, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It is. And I have very, very distinct memories of watching this episode air. We had a tradition in my house. I was 14 years old when this aired. And the Saturday night tradition was uh, what what's now an international brand, which was just a, a Jersey Shore thing back then. We would get uh, Jersey Mike's subs every Saturday night. And I would sit with my it was either a sausage and peppers or a barbecue beef. And I would crush an entire sub and watch the next generation. And I remember the. Uh, end of the first episode with fire to be continued and my food fell out of my mouth. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, the threat of the Borg had been foretold. We had the the, the Q episode prior to this. Uh, and for, for eagle-eared listeners, there had been some references uh, in the episodes leading up to this of uh, you know, missing bases or, you know, no yep. more communications, kind of things like that, that probably were operating on a level that in 1990, you weren't like, you weren't hopping on your, you know, dial up message board to be like, look, this is the second time they reference this. I think it's, I think it's headed towards something, but it, it was there nonetheless to have an episode like this that starts out with, you know, this is a serious threat. New Providence is gone you know, the end finito. Uh, I don't know how aware I was as a 10 year old that there were, that there had been rumors, uh, accurate or not, that um, Patrick Stewart might not be returning, that there was discussion about adding Shelby to the cast. Um, again, I don't know how accurate that was kind of from, from, I guess, Hollywood, but certainly that was kind of, you, you had heard that kind of stuff. Maybe he won't. I heard he won't come back. Something's up with this episode. Oh, there's this woman. Uh, Pete, if there's one thing that has aged poorly, it's that the ambitious, competent Shelby through 1990 eyes, she's, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a, a, a of a tone to her where, boy, she's a real, you know, B word, where I think nowadays it would be a bit more care for like, She's just really ambitious, and there's nothing wrong with that, as opposed to this lady trying to break things up. But, you know, to have tragedy be a tragedy upon tragedy, this bad guy force that had been, you know, that you couldn't beat, and at the end of the episode, they weren't beat. Then to find out years later, they actually did not have a, a solution to this. When they broke for the, for the season, yeah. they didn't even have a solution. So the fact that nobody knows what happens next, that's true. Yeah. I think the episode succeeds in part because of Elizabeth Dennehy's Commander Shelby. The fire she lights under Riker, you know, Riker has passed up a number of uh, captain chairs at this point. We're three years into the series. Clearly, this guy's super confident, super competent, and, uh, you know, the the... I get what you're saying that she could be miscategorized as, you know, being too forward. I I like the conflict between them. I like her, you know, keeping it on mission, you know, going down to the planet with data, you know, hours before everybody else is up to get a jump on the work. And then, you know, Riker having to pull her over to the side and, hey, we don't do that here and whatever, you know. Riker has become, as is pointed out in the episode, he's he's become a little stale that he's lived in the shadow of this great man who's going to launch the first named series in the 53 years of Star Trek. And, uh, you know, that here comes this whippersnapper who we're told by, I forget, old Admiral friend of Picard who bites it at a uh, wolf admiral hansen admiral hansen at, at wolf 359 um at at uh you know essentially the the 911 type event for the next generation uh deep space 9 era um but you you look at what she does i, I really don't think this episode 
has what it takes without her inclusion and her storyline. And typically you get a B storyline like we're going to talk in some of these other episodes. Family, I'm looking at you. That's like, all right, we we can cut the Wesley storyline. I get it. Family, Picard's family, Worf's adopted family. Wesley doesn't have an entire family. But uh, without Shelby, this episode's not long enough. It doesn't have what it takes. And, you know, in in a two-parter that is routinely listed as the finest hours of Trek really, really makes it what it is. Yeah, she's the straw that stirs the drink and then factor in that nobody knew you know, nobody knew things like, oh, you know, Patrick Stewart has a seven year deal or just kind of those things now where it's a quick it's just out there. It's part, you know, we all have access to, to the press coverage of Hollywood, uh, even the fact deniers, as we were talking at the top of the episode. But you buy that Picard is out. You buy that like right. They just he just got the field promotion to captain. He must be captain like, you know, yes, in family. It's just like, oh, they, they don't reference it. It's just, oh, he's. We reset. I guess that's the point. In the entire arc of even Best of Both Worlds Part 1, these characters are not setting up for a reset. These are characters that are setting up for a permanent change. And in 1990, you didn't quite do that on this syndication hit that prides itself on resetting at the very, very end of each episode. Um, And certainly we don't get that at the end of Best of Both Worlds Part 1 in you know, this super famous cliffhanger. It's a watershed moment for the next generation. They had found their footing, uh, as a cast, as an ensemble with their characters. You know, we've, we've started the great wharf Klingon episodes, that intrigue and Picard's role in it had, uh, had already taken place. And now this is the big set piece that we've been building to. Even the uniforms look better, Matt. We don't have the front zip. Wait, not so fast. Third crewman in the back. You get an old front zip uniform. Yeah, you're, you're right. This is the season with uh, with wool uniforms. Uh, of course, famously, Patrick Stewart's uh, chiropractor told him, you know, like permanent damage if you keep wearing the uh, – was it Lycra, the rubber suit, whatever it was, it was just apparently terrible for them. The space um, PJs, as Gates McFadden refers to them. Yeah, and I mean, Pete, even just to dip back to data lore for a second, I mean, some of the pictures of it on Memory Alpha, let's just say this, Pete, you can tell the Brent Spiner is not wearing an undershirt under there. It must have been cold filming that day. Um, you know, it's just, it's weird in this day and age where, you know, it's, it's astonishing for Picard to get a second se- Picard the show to get a second season before the first has come out. Maybe not astonishing, but it certainly is is unusual to then reflect back on these, you know, this episode that caps the third season of Next Generation and say it was one crazy thing in the first season. The second season, writers strike, st- you know, old scripts. I uh, didn't want to get didn't want word to get out that. Uh, one woman had been fired, the other had been asked to get let go, so now Star Trek had a woman problem. And the season ends with a clip episode, and then you just come roaring back in season three with kind of the show that we remember. We kind of forget the worst of the first two seasons. Yeah, and by the time they're picking up 
with the second and we leave on that great cliffhanger. And as you pointed out, they did not have a plan <laughs> for what was going to happen. And there was all this intrigue. I, I can remember, you know, thinking, oh, my goodness, it's it's going to be September, October before we're back. And, uh, you know, you, you come back to that moment. They they fire the big deflector thing and it's a pop gun. Yeah. I mean, again, with slightly more uh, catalyst modern eyes, you might say, well, of course, the big, uh, you know, the big who's what's that's going to open the second hour. Of course, it's not going to work. That's the nature of drama. But I don't think anybody was thinking that when you rewatched part one uh, in September of 1990 ahead of part two. You know, there was just the feeling, oh, of course it's going to work. Of course it's going to work out. Uh, and then it doesn't. And we get more of Picard as Locutus. I just remember the whole thing. The whole thing was so frightening to me as a 10-year-old. Um, the notion that he had been captured. I mean, just, just the whole thing was so evocative. And I guess I'll add to it too, Pete. I think the Star Trek community is kind of retconned in... Um, you know, here's why some of the, the ships, uh, of the movie, the next generation movie era look differently because they needed to be more warships because of the dominion war and the Borg and this and that, the other. And again, I think that's been retconned. That's just been how, how design has shifted, but you watch this episode and go, why are there kids on here? Why are there families on here? Why is the saucer separation? Why do, you, why do you have a saucer section that now doesn't have warp drive? So how far is it going to get, get, get away from the Borg? Everybody's going to die. Everything is terrible. Uh, of course, in the best sense, because the drama is so compelling. And to do what they did to their lead actor, to their captain. This, this is risky. It's a great part to play, but the, the disfiguration of him the nature of the threat that he's been specifically chosen to weaponize his knowledge of the Federation against itself and having to maintain all that going forward. And for the crew to make the decision, we are going to hit him with this thing. That's it, captain, you're done. And it's ineffective and they've, They've blown the gasket for the time being. They've got to regroup. That's all right. We'll stop the whole fleet's at Wolf 359, and we can just see how that's going to go. Yeah, and kind of, again, what's amazing, here's how tight the episode is. You can't, in my mind, and maybe this is through, you know, through nostalgia, I didn't rewatch this episode and say, um, Oh, I can tell that they did Wolf 359 off screen because it would have been costly. And I can tell that these are all, you know, kit bashed models and they just add some sparky sparks there and go, oh man, this would have been terrible if we saw it. It, The story is served by saying we couldn't get there in time. We couldn't get there to the big battle of Gettysburg. Oh my goodness. And we lost. And it, it plays better that way than... You know, the, the greatest star battle you've ever seen because they got there late and everyone is dead. Pete, including the entire crew of the Melbourne, the ship that Riker had uh, had, you know, uh, passed on the, the promotion. 
And that's a great point to bring up that, you know, his reluctance to leave Picard's side now acting in his place, feel promotion to captain. Does Shelby become first officer? Do we look to data? Do we look to Worf? And I think the decision is held up through the rest of Trek, obviously looking back with clear eyes that they would later do uh, Wolf 359 in the um, in the Deep Space Nine pilot to drive home that trauma for Cisco and obviously the effects on his family. But, you know, that the second half of this episode becomes the the recovery uh, find a way to, to restore our Picard and to, uh, you know, push back on the Borg. It makes it the perfect way to begin this fourth season and then super smart in that they do not ignore the consequence of this. And you're talking 1990, Matt, serialized TV was not a thing. And I'm sure there was a ton of debate over, all right, you know, months later, do we have him return home? No, they go in the next episode, that second episode of season four after Best of Both Worlds, and they do family, and we deal with the fallout, and it really works. It does, and I think that was one of the astonishing things. I know that there was debate on the show, like, you know, they had people advocating saying, no, we need to do a decompression episode. We need to do the after effects. If we're going to reset, we have to at least do an episode where we go from high to medium back to, you know, low, no, no slight intended. Um, and this though family was the second released episode of the season. I think we all needed it. I mean, to go from, the the spring before Mr. Warfire and then to get this this episode where they convinced you it was possible to get back Picard as captain to get back Riker not as leaving for another show and you know the flavor of the show is such that it the show wants us to not want Shelby um and and she gets shown the door as well you know to kind of get all those things to get that wish fulfillment you need this episode where you know though Picard's uh, bandages are 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 no longer there, you need this decompression, even though it's only the second episode of Star Trek that you've gotten since June. And to return with this slower pace, like you say, decompression style episode, very very clearly delineated A, B, way down the road C plot. Wesley with your dad not having an undershirt under the old timey uh, TV or TV um, film uniform. Um, yeah, it, it's it is the way to do this. And even when you look past that, I mean, after this episode, we've got data with uh, brothers with Dr. Sung and Laura again. So, you know, to consider that they began their fourth season like that with, you know, the 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 grand slam home run that is best of both worlds, then this it, it's not that story, but it continues it. Um, it. It really 
makes it, I would argue, the the finest era that Next Generation had. And rewatching this episode, I mean, it's funny how some of these facts just you know stay in your head, ready to to coil. The minute that Worf's parents beamed down, it was just this flow of, oh, that's actor Theodore Bickle, and I've seen him in submarine movies, and he's the guy for which the song Edelweiss was written in The Sound of Music uh, on stage because he could uh, play guitar and sing as a baritone or whatever it is. All this stuff just came out and it was like, all right, good. My Star Trek knowledge remains, you know, r- remains uh, pretty, you know, pretty uh, well ensconced there. Um, but ultimately, you know, this is an episode that's not about those little factoids. It really is about that that sense of getting these characters back into uh, a, a secure place and uh, and they do so admirably and this is what i find myself the most interested about heading into picard is what is the earthbound drama gonna look like you know we we've seen so little of of the space set stuff and we know that he's going back to space it wouldn't be a star trek if we're not trekking in the stars and we get that but you know that he returns in this episode to his village uh of labear for the first time in 20 years we would not have thought it'd been that long since he'd been home particularly with what tradition and his family line means to him And this story continuing on from the previous episode about his wounds, like you mentioned, the the bandages are off, but it's still very clear through the makeup that he's gone through these prostheses and uh, he's he's headed home to see his brother who in their first movie uh, dies off screen with uh, his nephew. Say one of the things that doesn't work in this episode for me is the inside joke, which just comes off lame of Picard referring to his nephew as uncle and had me questioning, like, wait a minute. No, that's <laughs> his brother and the brother's child would be like they're, they're not trying to pull. There was some weird marriage thing. And actually, uh, Renee is his uncle. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> uh- it's funny, even rewatching it, it kind of was this moment of, you know, wait, huh? What? Um, I it's think, not even a dad joke. It's a, it's, right. a, it's a bad, not crazy uncle joke because Picard would be the best uncle you could possibly ever have. Yeah, I, I think, though, the episode can be excused because it is this exhale. So whatever the weirdnesses are, it's kind of like, well, of course, Picard is giving, you know, lousy uncle jokes uh which don't land because we never see him as an uncle we only see him as you know everybody's boss uh and and the the most you know the most important captain in the 24th century and things like that we don't see him as you know guy 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 you know in the vineyard one little detail i have to mention when he first uh reunites with robert and robert's picking the grapes and like mashing them into his mouth. <laughs> I don't know if that's what one does, but it just felt so like, yes, the, the French vineyard and that the, you squeeze the grape and you get the juice on your chin and it's the sun and the, the leaves. And it's just like, this is what it means to make wine. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Kemp's Robert, uh, is just such a delight. Um, 
he died in 2019, Matt. He was 84 years old. And this a guy, he's in top secret for crying out loud. We were talking about wow. airplane before, uh, you know, but he just absolutely crushes this role, just like the grapes, the climax of the episode where they just beat the crap out of and roll around in the mud with each other and then decompensate into laughter. I'm an oldest brother as are you. Uh, it, it's not all, uh, you know, Chateau Picard and roses with your younger brothers. And, uh, you know, you, you have it out. And then at the end you're able to, uh, you know, know where you stand with each other. And this episode does that really, really well. Yeah, that's kind of the elemental truth of the Picard portion. I suppose all of it, you know, Picard reuniting with his brother and Worf, you know, we've all had those moments where it's like, oh no, my my parents at yeah you know, outside the home, or my parents in a work in, in my work environment, or my, or my peer environment, or whatever it might be. Um, that's relatable, you know. I think, thankfully, perhaps less relatable is. Wesley, you know, early adult with a, a father he barely knew, but I think that we can we can sympathize with that portion of the story, and it's just it's a very relatable story, you know, albeit from a show where you know it, we've been talking about crystalline entities and robots and half robot people that want to take over, uh, you know, take over the galaxy and whatnot, and it's just it's so wise that they come back to to family to this most relatable of things. As annoying, I should say, as annoyed as Worf is of his parents, they're very, very likable. Um, and the adopted son storyline, what he's just gone through in terms of recent trauma, you know, the, the Wesley storyline, again, gets the smallest amount of screen time and, and that trauma is... The, the furthest set. Um, but for Worf to have been given this discommendation by the Klingon Empire and his adoptive parents are understandably concerned about him, getting to see him for the first time since he's returned to Earth here. Um, it, it's not the, the B story in that, you know, uh, now we got to get this we got to eat our vegetables here because we can't have 44 straight minutes of Picard on the, uh, on the winery. Um, but it, it breaks up the tension there and the intrigue. Okay. Will the captain leave Starfleet is, is this, did they get him back to lose him? Uh, and, and do the Atlantis project. We, we can't lose the, the best captain in Starfleet to a submarine. <laughs> yeah. And I think because of the tension of the two parter, there still is that tension, even this, even in this relaxation of an episode where that kind of could happen because we spent the whole summer with no captain Picard. It, it, it could happen, right? It could happen. And it's just, you know, again, it's this really believable exhale to take you back into the, the regularity of the series. So let's 
move forward into season five, episode 23, still beyond anything we'd have on network or streaming today. And uh, the iBorg episode. Yeah, and I think that this is also an episode that that benefits from the the lasting echo effect of Best of Both Worlds. You know, it's kind of the return of the Borg, but it's an early threat. It's kind of at the edge. And certainly the very Star Trek notion of uh, reevaluating your enemy. You know, there's potential for the, the, the enemy to see things from your perspective, to make peace uh, here, to find individuality. Um, but it still is with that ticking time bomb of... Um, a, can he be used as a weapon? B, what can we do to keep the board collective away? And ultimately, can he be trusted? Can this change that we think has happened, uh, you know, is this, a, is this a real thing? The beginning of the episode and humanizing this, you know, faceless enemy that takes over identities, very effective the sad result is that it begins the trope of we introduce Borg in episodes because their ships have crashed and there is one or three Borg that have survived who are not connected to the collective. And then they become the focal point of an episode like they do in Enterprise. Well, it's funny kind of reflecting on this episode and saying oh you know uh the borg are back but here's a way to kind of here's a way to do it uh, and to speak to your point pete it's like this is now the beginning of going back and back and back and back to the point where you know i'm not particularly a fan of uh first contact the movie in part because it's like oh the borg are back and we're retcon now we're at the point where we're retconning in the secret bad gal that you never knew. I think this episode, it, it has the earnestness in terms of we're going to have a way to bring them back, but not bring them back in full force. And then Pete, then they got hooked. They got hooked to the hue. And like the best of Star Trek, it creates this ethical dilemma that we're going to talk about what are the moral choices to be made with this insidious enemy that is going to not only effectively kill you, but uh, assimilate you, use your knowledge against everything that you love. We have the held over now a season and, you know, three quarters later uh, trauma of Picard we have Guinan in a very big role, perhaps her biggest of the ones we've we've talked about here uh, as a previous victim of the Borg, being very, very much against the humanitarian mission of Starfleet in this episode. We we don't help the enemy, um, but Jordy comes to identify with Hugh Um or third of five and um but it's the doctor it it all begins with the the uh professional who takes an oath who is the one to talk about doing no harm 
and we need to treat him. He's just a boy. This is not a willing combatant. And his severed connection to the collective, the idea of using him as a Trojan horse, this could be the way to end the, the conflict. And the way we come to love Jonathan Del Arco's character by the end of this episode and I don't know about you and I can't speak for our audience, but I was so surprised to hear that we were going to have Hugh return in Picard. Definitely. I was surprised as well. And you think of Del Arco only appearing in two episodes, his shadow looms large to be, to be certain. And it's kind of like, wait, he was only in two episodes. Um, it speaks to the power of this one. It speaks to the power of his performance. Um, and, you know, it's just... The, the whole thing is perfect. His performance, the, the, the design. I know it's a you know, similar Borg design here, but now we have that the 3D eye patch thing uh, and this really understandable story of the enemy versus... Uh, the individual and, and all of that. And as you said, Pete, very, very Star Trek in terms of, you know, these are the baddest bad guys that we've ever seen. You really can't expect, Pete, in 1992, there's no way you could expect them pulling a, a wharf and like, what are they going to do? Have a Borg be on the bridge one day? No way. Um, <laughs> they're, they're literally black-hatted villains. Um and to nonetheless find the compassion in there, it's it's proof of the potency that the show had, even you know, e even here, what 122 episodes into it. What the next generation did best, and I'm really looking forward to how Picard might delve into this, is give us the ordinary moments on a starship, the things we never got on the original series. You know, we never saw them play cards. We never saw uh, other other than Sulu, of course, fencing for exercise on uh, on the Enterprise. And what we get with Guinan and Picard getting their exercise in, blowing off steam, and it becomes this morality play. Don't trust the thing you've brought on. He could be faking you out. Oh, oh, I, I'm hurt. Uh, no, I got you. And I wonder, Pete, how much of this morality play will we circle back to in Picard? Uh, you know, these kind of, the sizzly returns, you know, Jonathan Del Arco, Jerry Ryan, Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis. It's funny, initially when the show was doing press in, um, at, for Comic-Con and then uh, even at, uh, at New York Comic-Con, uh, so both San Diego and New York, it was like this very frontward presentation of the cast of Picard in terms of what I'm assuming are the series regulars. Then they announced these four that will be presumably guesting in it. And it was like, uh, sorry, other actors, you need not show up for the for, for the photo shoot here. Obviously, PR different than the actual product. How much of Hugh, how much of Jonathan Del Arco do you think we're going to get in the show? I, I know more than I can let on. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to kind of dance around this. Um, obviously there's press photos of him in makeup that are out there that are, that are public intentionally. So 
Um, so again, they, they want that. Um, Jerry Ryan is, is one thing and we're going to get to, uh, you know, her episode and, and why that was on this list in a moment. But, um, you might've gone the rest of star Trek without ever mentioning Hugh again. And then he gets to come back and we know how big the Borg is in the psyche of Jean-Luc Picard. As long as the character is alive, they will always be with him. And as a threat in star Trek, arguably we've never eclipsed them. Um, very interested to see if discovery tries to build in the, uh, you know, what are we? Thirty second century? They've they've jumped ahead to, uh, if if they try to outborg the Borg, or are there now millions of Borg in the Starfleet? Who knows? But oh, I hope it's not Discovery versus the thirty third century Borg. That would be I don't Borg think overload. It, I I I don't think it it Super Borg. I don't yeah. I don't think we're getting Super Borg. Um. I think, though, with you and, you know, you you see him, uh, you know, trying to find his way in the cell. And by the end of the episode where they're sending him back and he is willingly playing along with the ruse and there's the look that he gives to Jordy. Um, And then by the time we see him again in uh, Descent with uh, with data and with lore, um, you know, the change has taken place. There's this resistance now there's hope. Uh, it, it wasn't the, um, the, the typhoid Mary type of thing that they were proposing early on and that, uh, crusher was, was arguing against the ethics of, and it again makes it the, the, show that it was in terms of having topical real world discussions through the lens of science fiction. Now I saw a comment by Jonathan Del Arco in the last week. Uh, maybe I misunderstood it or maybe this was just news that somehow passed me by back in the nineties. But the comment was essentially this, that he had a shot uh, when he returned in descent part two, he had a shot to, return you know, to, to be a regular on the series and he he passed that by um first of all pete have you ever heard of that before i have not and i'm kind of surprised i mean could you say that maybe they thought at some point well he will be the the borg crew member we've we've already established that there is a a, a borg starfleet mole and he could be the one. I, I'm kind of surprised to hear that, though it doesn't sound unlikely. And certainly, you know, the same the same people who would put Seven of Nine into Voyager, you know, it's largely the same leadership that, that would have considered that. So um, I guess, Pete, if nothing else, that's an opportunity for us to talk a bit more about Seven of Nine. Yes. Yeah, so now we're in Voyager. We're in episode... Episode six of season four and with Voyager's ratings having flagged a little bit, you got to remember they launched a network in the since abandoned UPN, the United Paramount Network. 
and uh, it's it's not as if Discovery uh, had precedence for CBS All Access. It had been done before. So I mean, even farther back, Star Trek Phase Two was going to launch a fourth network, yep. and then yep. Phase Two went away, and the network went away. And you then, could argue, uh, not CW, but you know the, the the syndication. We we watched it in the New York, New Jersey area, the Next Generation on uh, WPIX, and it it solidified programming there again, albeit uh, in a syndicated way. Yeah, it was the first syndicated uh, series, uh, maybe for a full season. I, I think it was the first series created exclusively for syndication. So it kind of launched that as a model, though it's a model. And eventually that... nominated for an Emmy. So not without critical and commercial success. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's stunning, the whole thing. So it's the year 2000, and Star Trek has been on every single year now since 1987. So we are 14 seasons deep, 13 years and Voyager's flagging a little bit. And, uh, they're looking at the character of Kess and saying, yeah, we don't really know what this character is. And we know that the character grows up quick and she's growing all the way off this episode, <laughs> uh, off this show. And we're bringing in a really foxy Borg lady because Borg and another word that uh, starts with B that I will not mention here. Uh, but they, they, they want to, uh, you know, they want to sex it up. Okay. And what they've done through the, the uh, end of the third season, that, uh, you know, epic two-parter there, Scorpion, so we're six episodes into this fourth season. What do you know? The Borg lady has brought ratings up and there's been this tension that a disconnected Borg is now a member of the crew, something that Jonathan Del Arco might have been asked or chosen to do, um, but probably not with this kind of ratings uptick. And now with the Raven, we get the big humanizing episode for her. Side note, Pete, I just looked up the ratings and wow, did it have a uplift on the ratings that yeah. basically with a little bit of a dip towards the second half of season six, but basically the jump up in ratings, the highest rated, the highest rated season of the series was season four that was a 7.7. The average for season seven was a 7.6. So I guess it worked. They were um, relatively consistent. And just like um, Best of Both Worlds, I remember Scorpion and I remember, ooh, this this even worse threat. The, the, the bad guys that the Borg are afraid of, Species 8472, just as a side note, we had those spider crickets in my parents' home at one point. And I remember, you know, the first time we saw them and we didn't know what the heck they were. And they were known affectionately, you know, not like we kept them as pets. They were pests <laughs> and we, you know, killed them and got rid of them. But we referred to them as species 8472. <laughs> uh, well, OK, first thing that jumps out uh, about this episode, The Raven, teleplay by Brian Fuller, story by Brian Fuller and Harry Doc Clore. Um, so, Pete, going full circle from 
this last episode in the Picard rewatch to the Star Trek CBS All Access Arrow, which started with Brian Fuller. He, of course, fired and replaced by two other people who then were fired and replaced with Alex Kurtzman, who then moved to a different position within Star Trek and was replaced by Michelle Paradise for Discovery. Uh, but here we are back to Brian Fuller. Yeah, and he does great work with Voyager. This is a really, really smooth episode. We have come now to like Seven, but we don't empathize with her just yet. And her body starts to regenerate the Borg implants. She's being called back. And the the B plot in this episode that merges very well are these really really anal retentive aliens who want to limit Voyager in its mission of the week, get from point A to point B, get closer to home, uh, you know, and, and have them take weeks or months to navigate this really, uh, you know, circuitous route all the while seriously wearing parts of catcher's masks. (laughs) Uh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. I, I, I'm not, let me be this way. Voyager is not number one on my list. I think because in the post deep space nine existence, and this is still running concurrent to deep space nine, but this being the thing that wasn't weird, like deep space nine, this being, let's get back to what Star Trek used to do, you know, out there and, and, you know, less lost in space. And, uh, yeah, essentially, yeah, exactly, yeah. Remember Rodden that time had that, an idea to that do Star Lost Trek in... did Lost in Space? Yeah. Um, I think that Voyager settles into not quite bottle episodes, but like in this episode, we're going to explore doing old-timey movies in the holodeck and some other stuff. And I feel like this is a good character exploration. It's a new character. It's a slight... Re- this episode re, uh, reflects a st- slight restacking of the show, just in terms of um, we're headed towards that kind of Janeway, Seven of Nine, Tuvok as the top three, and we're starting to move away from uh, certainly Chicote. I, I know we saw um, Robert Beltran at the Star Trek convention once. Uh, a, a bit of a salty guy, particularly since I guess he was, not even I guess, he was hired as the number two on a Star Trek show and ended up not not the second most important person there, but this certainly a very serviceable uh, look back on her past and understanding of uh, of where she's at, the surreal image of of uh, Da Vinci and sculpting and all of that, and it's you know it's a little wacky, but it's enjoyable to take the Borg and introduce them to Voyager. And the ratings reflect what that meant. They were really kind of sputtering along and next generation had had that success. You had done the uh, first contact movie. You've got the upgraded look of the Borg. We've established a queen and now, all right, let's liberate this human female, make her a member of the crew and to have them be the big threat for the rest of the time on the show, key in them returning home, 
was a smart decision and I would argue an easy decision. Um, but for uh, young Annika here to, to see where she came from, that she was there with her family, that she was taken, um, you make an argument too that the timeline lays out that that was happening as the Borg were headed to their rendezvous with Lacutus. So to set it up in such a way, it's an interesting bookend. And now we've got her and it's happened in books, which, you know, Star Trek has always been unless it's on screen, it doesn't count. But now that we're going to have these super popular characters, I mean, the, the second most popular character on uh, Voyager is only in the last several seasons in uh, in Seven of Nine. So to have Seven of Nine and Picard united in their Borg experience, share the screen for the first time, really, really looking forward to that. <laughs> Certainly, Pete, as I've been a bit dismissive of continuing to return to the Borg and return to the Borg, and I think on the one hand, much of it works for Voyager. I think by the time you get to the second half of the last season, it's like, and look, another Borg adventure. And look, we're even going to have the Borg Queen show up. That's really impressive, right, everybody? Which Borg Queen actress are we going to have this week? <laughs> um, I guess it's, it's, it's with a bit of irony. I must note, Pete, that if we have in the Picard series the former Borg Seven of Nine and the former Borg Hugh... Uh, and, of course, we've seen in the uh, trailers, you know, X number of days since a Borg incident or something like that. We've seen the Borg cube exploding. Uh, I guess there's a return to the Borg to some degree or another uh, in the first season of Picard. I know you can't say too much or or, or I plea that you don't say too much. <laughs> but I just I just wanted to note my own finger wagging, somewhat unintentional, saying, oh, boy, back to the Borg again. We can't think of better ideas. Uh, and meanwhile, it's countdown to Picard, where I can't wait to see what they've come up with, even if it is, you know, Borg, secret, queen, other queen. <laughs> I really enjoy Jerry Ryan's Seven of Nine. The icy way she's played early on, the exploration of her humanity that allows uh, the emergency medical hologram to explore his existence their unlikely friendship um and then you consider the mentorship that janeway has provided to this point by they get to this episode and you know uh, i've got it on as we're recording right now and janeway's just put her hand on uh seven of nine's shoulders and i know so much has been made of um Kate Mulgrew and Jerry Ryan and some rivalry on the set when this was happening. But uh, it really did benefit the production and it benefited the story. Yeah, I think that I think I have to agree, even with Voyager not being my most favorite, I, I have to agree that it's a better combination of ingredients once you have seven come on it's better opportunities for other characters to play off her um 
you know, to, to have the characters then pair off the way they do, you know, Paris and Bolana, uh, that makes sense. And then don't say it. Don't don't say Chakotay and seven, Matt. Don't say it. Look, they clearly at a certain point were don't like, say it. we have to do something with Chakotay. We can't keep having him not be in. Beltron is yeah. such a sourpuss about this experience. The thing he played the most in his career. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I find it hysterical how Ben out of shape, he, he doesn't embrace it in, in the way that so, so overwhelmingly these actors do. And even down to him referencing, you know, how a couple times a year he'll, he'll get together with this actor and that actor and that actor. And you realize it's, every male actor from the show. Uh, and he doesn't really get together with, with the two women, uh, two asters, three. I know the, the cast actress, uh, you know, left Hollywood and since has had uh, some legal troubles, et cetera, et cetera. So she's not, you know, it's not like, Hey, we're all in LA. Let's, let's, you know, get together for our once a year. I don't, don't think she's part of it, but to him to this day to kind of have ill will against, against the two of them um as what as you know kate mulgrew was the lead was always going to be the lead well not always be the lead you know <laughs> you know what i mean um but since, since she was hired you know the lead and then sometimes stuff changes i mean ask i don't know ask the deep space nine crew how they felt you know wharf coming to save the show um it, sometimes it is what it is new characters come in etc the thesis that we've explored throughout Fantastic Geeks uh, podcast of Star Trek is how Star Trek is always best with its back against the wall. Um, I guess that's what makes me slightly uneasy about these heady days of Discovery, Picard, uh, Lower Decks, uh, Section 31 coming Pike show, probably other show, likely, if not in actuality, I, I worry a little bit about that. I mean, will we ever be able to go a 1987 to 2005 period of time, 18 years in which there is constantly a Star Trek? I mean, that is the golden age of Star Trek. I, I know people are going to argue, you know, original series next generation, but that they ran a show across those networks for those 18 years. That's super impressive. Matt, we don't have a Marvel cinematic universe that fantastic geek podcasts all about. We don't have all these interconnected legal and cop show universes. If it's not for star Trek doing that. You're absolutely right. And you know, will we see episode counts like that again? No way, no how. Indeed, Pete, let me revise something that I said, uh, honestly, probably at the top of the podcast. Lower Decks slated to be only 10 episodes. So even something that's animated, I'm kind of assuming an animated half hour, although I don't know for sure. You know, even that, a lower episode count. Lower episode count, higher quality. To my mind, it's Voyager that, as as the show crosses into the the new decade of the 2000s it's still caught in this 1980s model of really reset at the end of each episode and real lack of stakes um even with some great some great episodes in there two parters etc 
um, it it still is the one that's caught in the old model. While Deep Space Nine is a twenty first century twenty first century television entirely in the nineteen nineties. But still, you know, I mean, the characters have had resonance, and here we are talking about the Raven all these years later, and we're going to be seeing... I don't know if we see her in the first episode. Maybe you know, Pete. Don't tell me. But obviously, (laughs) in the coming weeks, the return of Seven of Nine. If only we had a trans-warp time conduit, Matt, that we could make it January 23rd right now. Indeed, Pete. I guess, alas, that we don't. But you know what we do have? the support of the people who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek our federation our united uh front to help us combat not the borg but apathy or even the nonsense that people try to uh levy against star trek and and other properties there that uh they once loved but some actor uh rubbed them the wrong way and they now have a crusade against so everybody who goes to uh patreon.com slash fantastic geek gets access to exclusive content and there's all sorts of levels from there Indeed, there are, Pete, all sorts of goodies. But amongst all of it on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, there's something that is free. It's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-11057. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,057 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today and just a reminder we are running a special apple podcasts review raffle get yourself over to apple podcasts leave us a rating takes a second leave us a review takes a little bit longer but you will be entered into our raffle for a Think Geek exclusive uh, Jean-Luc Picard facepalm bust that we are going to raffle off that will be uh, announced during the second Picard episode, which we will have to you on Saturday, February 1st. And certainly, Pete, between now and the Picard premiere we're going to be doing one more series preview so look for that uh oh the beginning of uh the beginning of next week uh as we get ready for picard on thursday in the united states friday elsewhere and then podcasting it on saturday so official countdown time pete we're almost there we're almost ready to return to the 24th or will it be the 25th uh century but for now i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word papa Thank you.